0: The worship is from Deuteronomy chapter four, as we continue in our series in Daniel, Deuteronomy chapter four, beginning in verse fifteen. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore watch yourselves very carefully, so that you do not become corrupt, and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has appointed to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of His inheritance, as you now are." May we sing praises to God. Hymn number 267. Our scripture reading is from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 13, from verse 7 to the end of the chapter. "'Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me,' declares the Lord Almighty. "'Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. "'In the whole land,' declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish.' Yet one third will be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. And Lord bless the reading of this word. Prescott, can you lead us in prayer? Daniel chapter 3 is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, but it also one of the least understood, at least I'm convinced it's one of the least understood, particularly in the book of Daniel. As we've gone through Daniel, I've emphasized the context of the book, both in terms of history and in terms of the law, which is how their experience would have been. They would have understood all of the events that take place in their lives in the terms of their heritage as Israelites and as obedient to the law. Daniel 3 has a remarkable association to the third commandment. Remember the third commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And a lot of people think that the third commandment is about saying bad words. That's really the way people tend to think of taking the Lord's name in vain. Today we think of it as profanity. So you use the word the word Jesus or the word God in a frustrated sense or whatever and people think of that as taking the Lord's name in vain. But the commandment is not about saying God or Jesus in frustration even though God's people are called to have holy and upright speech, the third commandment speaks about something much deeper than that. To take the Lord's name in vain means to be known as one of God's people and yet not live like it. That is to take the Lord's name in vain. That is to proclaim that God's name doesn't mean anything by a lifestyle and a way of life that is presented as holy on the outside, but is substantially no different than unbelievers who do not take the Lord's name upon themselves. In a very real sense, then, we can see that unbelievers cannot break the third commandment because they never take the Lord's name upon themselves and so they really never can take the Lord's name in vain. Now, they have other issues with God's law, but that commandment is really given to God's people who have been given God's name and who have taken by covenant God's name upon themselves. So that's the theme of Daniel chapter 3, The contrast is between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's three friends. And it shows really what it means to not take the Lord's name in vain. Because what we see is that Nebuchadnezzar had been revealed who God was, and he ends up taking the Lord's name in vain in a sense. And we find that Daniel's three friends refused to worship in Nebuchadnezzar's image because they had taken God's name upon themselves. And so that third commandment is at the background in the structure of the account in Daniel chapter 3. So let's go to our text in Daniel chapter 3, and we'll begin reading verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials To come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Is it really hard to see where King Nebuchadnezzar got this idea of a gold image, a gold statue? Remember, we're continuing in the series and what happened in Daniel chapter 2 was Daniel interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar and this dream was of this metal man statue and of course Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar that he was that head of gold that he saw. And so what we see here right here at the beginning of Daniel 3 is that Nebuchadnezzar got this idea of himself as being gold and so he goes and, and acts upon that knowledge and builds this statue of gold. So he clearly got the idea here in some sense from the dream that he saw in Daniel 2 and from the interpretation that Daniel had given it. So Nebuchadnezzar built an image of gold to represent himself. And notice that God did not tell Nebuchadnezzar to do that in his dream. This is not something that he was told to do. No, this is actually an act of disobedience. Because what you have here is Nebuchadnezzar is not being faithful, not acting faithfully to the heavenly vision that he was given. He was given a vision of the metal man image which is going to be God's temple in which God would serve through his people this image. We saw how those, the different metals in this statue of gold, silver, bronze, and iron matches the metal sequence in the holy temple in Jerusalem and this is going to be God's new temple in which his priests would serve him. Now notice what Nebuchadnezzar does. Remember the big key about the statue in Daniel 2 was that it had a defect. The feet were defective in a sense and that really made the entire statue temporary because the stone not cut out by hands was going to come down and strike the statue on the feet, destroy the feet and the whole statue would fall. But in the image of Daniel 2 we see that this statue, this metal man image had a defect with his feet. He had feet mixed with clay and iron and that tells us that the statue that, that Nebuchadnezzar saw was going to be temporary. But now he builds a, an image of gold and notice that it's gold from top to bottom. While God had told the king that the image would fail in time, Nebuchadnezzar makes an image that he presents as perfect. There are no defects to this image. There is no idea of temporality to this image, even though Daniel had told him in a sense that his kingdom would end. It is as if Nebuchadnezzar attempts to freeze time and history and create his own everlasting kingdom in disobedience to the vision that he was given in in Daniel chapter 2. This act is a lot like what Israel did after coming out of Egypt. If you think about what happened with Israel... Israel was uh, God revealed Himself to Israel through Moses and brought them out of Egypt. But what did Israel do while Moses was on the mountain? Israel made a golden calf and tried to worship God through the image that they created. A lot of people don't realize that the golden calf was actually made to worship God. They were going to decide; they had decided to worship God through that image, and they were in the, ended up basically mixing the true worship of God with the pagan calf worship that they were used to in Egypt. Well, this is a lot like that. Nebuchadnezzar probably reasoned that because he had been chosen by God, all the people would only be able to worship God through him. And so he has this image that is of himself that's based off of the dream that he had and all peoples would have to worship God through him. Then it gets worse. Verse 4, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so you have the representatives of all the nations here gathered before Nebuchadnezzar's image. And through these representatives, all the nations in this kingdom were to present homage to Nebuchadnezzar's image. Now, what is really going on here is a little different than probably what you've heard before. But to really understand this, we need to keep in mind the themes that we introduced back in chapter 2. Remember, the metal sequence was about God's temple, God's temple was being being rebuilt in preparation for the destruction of the old temple in Jerusalem. And God's people were being taken out of Jerusalem and they were going to be given a new temple that God was constructing in Babylon through these nations. And we saw the metal sequence, again, gold, silver, bronze, and iron match up with the construction elements and the architecture of the temple that Solomon built. Well, what's going on here is... Related to that particular context, Nebuchadnezzar is setting up a counterfeit of God's temple on the plain. And if you think about this in terms of the metals, he had this idea of the, of the worship being centered around the gold statue. And if you think back to Israel's temple, that's actually there's a relationship there because all of the worship in the temple was centered around the Holy of Holies. And the holy of holies was where the gold was. The ark of the covenant, the lid of the ark of the covenant, was solid gold, and it was placed in the holy of holies. And you can see if you go back and look at the worship, all of the worship was based around the holy of holies. So there's a little there's a little connection here. Next, did you know that there was always a fire going in the temple in Jerusalem? There was always a fire going in the temple. There was a fire on the um, a fiery furnace, so to speak which was the bronze altar where God's fire consumed the sacrifices. So there's another connection here. This idea of Nebuchadnezzar having a furnace in conjunction with this worship is actually a counterfeit of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. There are other connections here as well. Jerusalem had Levites who played musical instruments. And the Levites were to use their musical instruments, their musical abilities, to call the people to worship. And so now you've got Nebuchadnezzar who has his own musical instruments, his own choir, his own leader of music, and he would use the music to call the people, the representatives of all the peoples and nations, to worship. So there's actually a lot going on here, and what you really see, if you understand that context, is that Nebuchadnezzar had set up a counterfeit temple, just like we see with the temple in Jerusalem. So imagine the scene in that context. Daniel's friends would have understood it. They understood the connections here. They understood what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. Nebuchadnezzar had constructed a counterfeit temple of which he himself was in control of every detail. He himself was the center of worship. And there may be another dimension here too that reaches back into Israel's history. Remember, Daniel and his friends are the ones who were to serve God in God's new temple, which included Babylon for a time, and then it would be Medo-Persia, and then it would be Greece, and then it would be Rome. And then the, the image says that during the time of the Romans, this statue would be struck and this rock would grow into a great mountain. Well, if you think about it that way, Daniel and his friends were effectively Levites. And how, do, how are the Levites to work? The Levites are the ones who are called to lead the people in worship. But what you have here going on with King Nebuchadnezzar is that the king was usurping the role of the priest. Now, if you think back to Israel's history, you can think about a real big problem there. Think about the story of Samuel and Saul. Remember what happened with Samuel and Saul. Samuel was the priest. He was the one who was to lead the worship. And yet, what does Saul do? Saul takes control of the worship, offers a sacrifice to God on his own behalf, and pushes Samuel to the side. And we know that was really the the downfall of Saul's reign. Well, that's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. He is usurping as king the role of the Levites in the leadership position of worship because God had placed the Jews in Babylon to lead his worship. And so what you have here is this developing of the false worship of Nebuchadnezzar. He had usurped the role that God had intended for the Jews. Verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. You have issued a decree, O King, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? The three friends here show very clearly how to respond to idolatrous empire worship. Notice that they simply ignored the command they simply didn't do it and actually if you think about it without this jealousy here by the Chaldeans these, these wise men of the empire it may have been that nobody would have noticed maybe nobody would have noticed the fact that the three, the three friends of Daniel did not bow down and worship but it was the personal jealousy and envy that brought the attention of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to Nebuchadnezzar they were jealous of course because of their rank and authority and we see something very similar here with the book of Esther and what happened in that particular situation as well with the jealousy of those against the Jews. Now you can understand Nebuchadnezzar's anger. He is setting up worship to more firmly establish his own rule and some of his own officials were disobeying his orders. And there may be some historical context here that... of plays in the background of why Nebuchadnezzar did uh, did this. It was about this time that Nebuchadnezzar went to war against Egypt. And Nebuchadnezzar, who had been able to conquer everyone up until a particular point in time in his reign, got himself into a draw with the king of Egypt. And there was some question at that point in time in in Babylonian history whether or not Nebuchadnezzar would actually stand. And we see in, in, in Israel's history that the fact that Nebuchadnezzar fight, fought himself to a draw with Egypt emboldened one of the king, the last kings of Israel to actually rebel against Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar because he thought Nebuchadnezzar was weak. And this may have been an, an attempt to bring together his kingdom and sort of firm up his rule over the ancient world. But what he was really willing to do with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was give them a second chance. Remember, he was very impressed By Daniel, And he had this good relationship with these guys. He didn't understand all the details of where they came from, of course, but he he wanted them as wise men, so he gives them a second chance. Let me pick up the story in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Again, notice, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego recognized that the king had no authority to lead worship, to improvise worship, to make worship. This was an unlawful act by the empire and they recognized that he had. they had no reason to answer to him because he had violated the authority that God had given him. Why would Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to worship in Nebuchadnezzar's shrine? Again, it boils down to the third commandment. They had taken God's name upon themselves. Remember that from the very beginning of the book, they had dedicated themselves to the one true God, not to Nebuchadnezzar. And so to bow down now in an act of false worship would be to break the third commandment. That would be taking the Lord's name upon themselves in vain. And so they refused... And we're willing to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Verse 17, they say, If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if He does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is the pattern for how God's people are to respond to empire worship. They were willing to lay down their life. That is, really, the discipline that comes from true faith. Whether God saves us or not, they said, we won't do it. Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the stronger soldiers, strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar demands Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as a whole burnt offering for their own sin against him refusing worship another aspect of worship here and the temple system that comes out because the sacrifices were always offered to God bound. You go back and look at uh, what Abraham did with Isaac on Mount Moriah. He bound Isaac before he put him on the altar. Also, Psalm 118:27 talks about binding the festal sacrifice to the horns of the altar. So we have this idea of being thrown into the furnace. These three men become a sacrifice to Nebuchadnezzar's glory. And at this point, we see that God completely takes over the situation and reveals himself again to Nebuchadnezzar a second time. Not only is the burnt sacrifice intended for Nebuchadnezzar's worship thwarted by the direct intervention of God, Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth image in the fire, the Son of God. So what did Nebuchadnezzar actually see here? He saw the pre-incarnate image of Jesus Christ walking with his friends in the fire. And this really holds a message for King Nebuchadnezzar. No longer could he think of himself as God's divine son on earth. There was another son of God who had chosen to be friends with Daniel's friends. And so his worship, his system that he had set up on the plain, had actually failed. When he had demanded false worship, his own men were the ones who were killed. And the ones he desired to offer his sacrifice through the, into the furnace were actually saved. And so his sacrifice to himself had failed. Now there is more sacrificial imagery here as well. Notice that the three men didn't even smell like fire. The hair was not even singed. And that's a very important detail we'll talk a little bit more about soon. Nothing was burned. And the key here is that there was no smell, no odor For the king, the word here for odor is used in connection with fire all through the Old Testament in in relation to Levitical sacrifices that become a pleasing smell to God. And so, because there was no smell of fire on these men, no odor, no pleasing aroma, really, what you have here is a total frustration of Nebuchadnezzar's worship. So God gave the king a message. God's true Son, who was Lord over the kingdom, had decided to allow His servants to keep their high office and authority in Babylon. What had happened was, the true Son had vetoed King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent His angel and rescued His servants. They trusted in Him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives Notice how the chapter progresses from one decree of Nebuchadnezzar, bow down and worship to the image or be destroyed, to another decree. any Anyone who says anything against their God will be destroyed. And notice how the ending of this chapter is a lot like the ending of chapter 2. Just like Daniel was glorified at the end of chapter 2, so his friends are glorified at the end of chapter 3. Daniel first and then his friends. And there are some remarkable lessons for us in Daniel chapter 3. First of all, we see that God blesses those who commit themselves to keeping covenant with God no matter what. The story is about the blessing of Daniel and his friends. God sees to it that those who commit themselves to him and refuse to bow down and worship other idols will be blessed. God honors those who dedicate themselves to him. And the three the three friends of Daniel here understood in principle exactly what Jesus came to teach 500 years later. He who saves his life will lose it and he who gives up his own life for God's sake will find it. They could have chosen to save their lives, save their own lives by bowing down and worship before the image of Nebuchadnezzar. But they chose to give up their own life for God's sake and in, that, in doing that, they found their own life. Now, we who live in decadent America... This is a big lesson for us because in our culture, in the American scene, people are taught to save your own life, find yourself. You know, like the American dream, which is becoming more and more of a dream, not a reality. The American dream is to go out and get your stuff, you know, make your money, own everything that you want to own, and enjoy yourself. Find your own life. That's a challenge because we're talking about Daniel here um, I dare say, I don't know a lot of people in America who would be willing to do what Daniel did. You look at what, what Americans are doing with their government in viewing everything around the central messianic state. They're bowing down and worshipping everything the state commands for worship, even going to the point of blood sacrifice for you know, military imperialism. That's really a sacrifice to the empire. If you think about the military men why they are honored and revered so much, one of the big reasons is because they are willing to go and sacrifice themselves for the empire. Of course, this is done in terms of the image, the American image of which we have now that has become, in my opinion, an idol. So we learn this lesson, that when we take God's name upon ourselves, it means that there must be a difference. We are not free to worship in false temples or false claims by false gods. Even when obedience to God is dangerous, we are called to worship Him alone. And there are also a bunch of neat connections here in Daniel chapter 3 to the story we come to in the New Testament as well. Last week we saw how Daniel was a picture and a type of Christ. If Daniel was a picture and type of Christ, then what do his three friends represent? His three friends represent Christ's disciples, Christ's friends, Remember, Jesus called his disciples his friends in the book of John. So think about how this story becomes prophetic of the story in the New Testament. Who is glorified first in the New Testament? Jesus is glorified first in the New Testament. And notice in this story here that Daniel is absent in this particular part of Daniel chapter 3. Now we know why, because Daniel 2 tells us. Daniel had went to the royal court. In other words, Daniel had left the presence of his friends. And now his friends go through a fiery trial at the end of which they will be glorified just like Christ was glorified. After Daniel's absence from his friends, they have to go through a great tribulation. But they do not go through the fire alone. And so I don't think it's very difficult to see here a prophetic story about the entire time of the New Testament with the great tribulation that the early church went through. Remember that Jesus promised... That he would be with them always, which includes us as well, even to the end of the age. Especially the early Christians, and Jesus always walks with his faithful people when they go through tribulations. And notice what Jesus promised. And the key here is to go to Luke 21, and we're going to see another interesting connection that I, I think is very, very uh, explicit once you understand the story. Luke chapter 21, beginning verse 12 course, this is Jesus' teaching about the great tribulation that his disciples would go through. Jesus says, but before all this, they, that is the Jewish leaders, teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. We saw how all these things take place in the book of Acts. This will result in your being witnesses to them, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Where did Jesus get the idea of not a hair of their head perishing? From Daniel chapter 3 and what happened to Daniel's three friends. Not a hair of their head was singed and they had no smell of smoke on them. You see, the early Christians found themselves in a situation where both Rome and Judea had set up a counterfeit worship system. God did not tell the Roman Caesars to claim to be God walking on earth. And he did not tell the Jews to worship the temple and their own heritage as holy in itself. The Jews had turned all that, all that, all that stuff into their own idol, the work of their own hands. And the early Christians were being commanded to engage in false worship by both Jews and Gentiles. And they refused. And what happened to the early church? They went into the fiery furnace. It was just like the story of Israel in the furnace out of Egypt which we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4. God was with his people through the fire, and the church came out of the great tribulation perfectly preserved. Whereas the Jews, remember, the Jews were the ones intent on throwing them into the furnace. They're the ones who, through this fire, were actually destroyed. So these stories and their many intertwining plots and themes are telling us how the story of our lives should be if we desire to be God's people. We are called to not take the Lord's name in vain, for we are God's priests serving in God's holy temple. May we lead the true worship of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for what you've done in our lives, for calling us out and making us your people, for being a God to us. We thank you for your miraculous work of salvation that you've worked in our lives the salvation that you have done to save us from death. And we see that manifested and reflected in all the activities of our life, the many situations that we've been in where you have protected us amazingly. We thank you and praise you for giving us families that we can rejoice together with and show the love that you have in yourself. We pray that you bless us and strengthen us, bless our fellowship around the table today. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray these things.